Would you please welcome Caroline? Good to be here. So, as most of you know, Charles, my husband, is wearing the uh, back support. He has a chronic back problem um, since um, in his 20s uh, from a skiing accident. So as long as I've known him, he had this chronic back issues. Um, so we've always lived with it. But last summer, there was a re-rupture in his, one of his discs, which is taking a long time to heal. So it would get better because he puts a lot of work in it. He would rest. He would lie down. Um, he spends a lot of time. He spent a lot of time lying down. He would get physical therapy, acupuncture, you name it, like swim every day. Um, and it would get better. But because it's in a, such a vulnerable place, it would be, it was, it's very prone to re-injuring or setbacks. So it would be, uh, he would be doing something like, I don't know, um, picking something up and then it would be re-injured and then it will set him back for a couple months and then it gets better from there, but then there's another setback, you, you get the picture. It's been feeling Sisyphean. I kind of joke uh, because people ask me all the time, how's Charles back, how's he doing? And I joke that he's always getting better. But you just, you know, don't know where is he getting better from is the um, question. So this puts us in a weird space where we seem to be always looking at and moving toward when Charles gets better, which feels like that's our real life. But then... The reality is that we are not there yet, and we haven't been there for the last nine months, which is a long time. And it's an unsettling space to be in. But this kind of in-between reality can be a big part of life. For example, this current political atmosphere feels like a perpetual transition as well. Whether you are excited about the current administration or not, it is true that there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. There are changes happening, and the changes that are being promised, the changes that are being resisted, feels like our world is moving toward a place that is different from it is now. But we don't know what that will look like or when that will come. So in every life, there's this tension between the present and the future. It is as simple as, I want to eat this cookie right now, versus, I also want to be healthy and fit into my old age. But this tension seems to become even more intense during these transitional periods in life, the in-between spaces. Looking toward the future is needed and necessary, but it can also make it hard to live in the present. When we focus on Charles back getting better, which makes sense, 
and seems wise even. But that focus can make us miss out on fun moments with our kids, with each other, with the friends who are here and now. Life can become pretty joyless if we only focus on um, the future. But then focusing on the present can feel like losing sight of the future, irresponsible even. We can't just do whatever we want to enjoy the moment when sometimes even a night out can set Charles back um, a few weeks of recovery. So then how can we live with the vision and hope for a better future, but still be able to stay connected to here and now? What kind of vision and hope will allow us to both embrace and enjoy the present and aspire and work toward a better future? It's an interesting topic, right? Yeah. I think this teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6 gives us an interesting take on it. So let's read this passage from Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So at first glance, it seems like Jesus is telling us to not care about worldly things, but just think about spiritual things. Do good deeds and things will work out for you. But there's some problems with this interpretation. First, that sounds a lot like the old covenant, karma. Do good deeds and you will be rewarded. And there's even a bigger problem with this standard interpretation, in my opinion. If we do good deeds and seek to be holy to get rewards, including worldly gain, then how is that not working toward the worldly gain? It's like we network or get in the good grace of an influential person so we can receive the financial advantage. But that is still working toward the financial advantage, isn't it? If we worship God to get money, we are worshiping money. There has got to be more fundamental difference between what it means to store up treasures in heaven and what it means to store up treasures on earth. So then let's look at the passage a little bit more closely. What did Jesus mean by this? At first, the passage looks like Jesus is covering a lot of random things. At least it did to me. First, he talks about storing up treasures in heaven or on earth. Then he goes on about eyes, healthy or unhealthy eyes. Then talks about worshiping money or God. And says not to worry, but seek God's kingdom. But then when I read the passage a few times over, I noticed that Jesus really is talking about the same thing in several different ways. What he means by storing up treasure on earth is equivalent to having unhealthy eyes and is equivalent to worshiping money and worrying about life. And similarly, storing up treasures in heaven means to have healthy eyes which is to worship God and to seek his kingdom. So let's ask for a moment, why would someone store up treasures on earth? We know this instinctively because we all do this to a degree. We store up treasures on earth for security, for power, for importance, for respect, sense of worth. We store up treasures on earth because we feel that we need something more to be safe, to have importance, and to have worth. We store up treasures on earth because we feel that we're not enough as we are. 
And I think this is the basic human condition since the Garden of Eden. When the first humans chose to disconnect from God and be their own masters, they immediately became aware that they were naked. In that vast, big world, they feel their inadequacy in their bones. They don't have what it takes to survive in this world. They're not as powerful as the nature. They're not enough. And I wonder if this sense of inadequacy, not being enough, often drives yours and my actions, or non-actions as well. There are variations to, I am not enough, I am not smart enough, I am not attractive enough, I am not gifted enough, I am not good enough, I don't have enough, or I am not enough as a mother or father, husband, as a son, as a daughter. We all have been plagued by these thoughts, fears, and doubts. And sadly, this is often the eye through which we see the world and ourselves. I call this the mentality of scarcity. What is interesting is that the Greek word that's translated as unhealthy in this passage, as in, if your eyes are unhealthy, implies stingy. And the word for healthy implies generous. That fits, stinginess, goes with the feeling of scarcity. And I think that is what it means to worship money. It is not about being greedy for money above all else or being a heartless and soulless billionaire, but about feeling that we're not enough and needing something else to inflate our worth. We can do that with money, but also with a lot of other things. We can do that with relationships, with the kind of people that we know, or with even with good deeds. Sometimes we feel that we're not good enough, and doing more will redeem us. But that leads to not peace, but worry. Because when you work out of the sense of scarcity, there's always a possibility that we can do more. We could be trying harder, or we can be nicer and more sacrificial. So then what does it mean to do the opposite? To store up treasures in heaven, to have the good eyes, to worship God and to seek his kingdom. It means that we turn to God when we're faced with our nakedness, our inadequacy in this world. The profound sense of, I am not enough, is the human, basic human condition. We all have it. We can't escape from it because it is true. 
the world is big, and we are small. If you have been plagued with these questions in your thought life, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I gifted enough? Let me answer your questions once and for all. No, you're not. None of us are. We're not big enough, smart enough, attractive enough to master this universe that we live in. It is not that we have no power. We have a lot of power, but it is just not enough to control our fate. Let's be honest. We do not even know if we will wake up tomorrow morning. To store up treasures in heaven is then that we are banking on God for our lack. That we look to God as the source of our salvation. We look to God to fill in what we don't have enough. We trust that God is generous and good and he is powerful and loving and that he cares about me and he will act on my behalf. To have the healthy eyes is to see the reality with this understanding of God's generosity. As I mentioned, the Greek word healthy here implies generous. It is to trust that where God reigns in his kingdom, there is abundance. We're more than provided for. Our cup runs over. Last week, Sarah talked powerfully about God being with us in our poverty. This is how we can let God into our poverty. In our weakness, we turn to God instead of turning to accumulating things, other things, to mask our poverty and weaknesses. We store up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. So what does any of it have to do with living in the tension between the present and the future? How does it help us to stay present where we are at, but at the same time move toward a better future? I think this vision of the healthy eye, the passage it talks about, the vision of a generous and abundant God, And the hope for his full kingdom are what enable us to look at our present life with gratitude and embrace it. And to look toward the future with the faith that God's goodness and abundance will be there for us. For God is enough. With this vision... We look at the present and see the signs of his goodness. With this vision, we look at the future and see that his goodness will win. Love will win. There will be enough for everyone. And that is what Jesus tells us to do in this passage. He says, look at the birds in the air. See the flowers in the fields. 
Are you not more valuable to God than these? He's saying how generous is God. Remind yourself his power, glory, and goodness. And trust that more of this will come in your life. Trust that there will be enough. So this is my first practical suggestion of the day. Gaze at the beauty of your life. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel that I'm so busy getting through the day, getting through the season in life, that I glance at my life. I don't take time to look around, gaze at the beautiful people in my life, and take it all in. When I look at my kids, I'm thinking about what I need to do or what they need to do to prepare for the day, for the week. I don't take enough time to just look at them. See how amazing it is that they are fully formed human beings with their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. Strong opinions. <laughs> Even the annoying things that they do, when I gaze at them long enough, they become part of their quirky delightfulness. They're wonderfully and fearfully made beings. I don't gaze at the best city in the world that I live in. I complain about the many, many tourists that swarm downtown where I work. But I don't dwell on the fact that all these people come here because they want to see the city that I get to live in. It seems that we're too busy, busy worrying about the future that we don't really take time to be present here, to appreciate the beauty. But counterintuitively, Jesus tells us in today's passage that to gaze at the beauty and the appreciate the present will allow us to look at the future with hope. To save up the real treasures that will last for the future. To take a moment. So take a moment whenever you can to gaze at the beauty of your life. Spend some time in the nature to gaze at the beauty of this world. As Jesus says, look at the birds in the air. See the flowers in the fields. Then he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus tells us to gaze at the beauty and with that reflect on our value in God. So my second suggestion is to believe in yourself because you believe in God's goodness. As I said earlier, we're not enough. No one is smart enough and tough enough and attractive enough, good enough to get ourselves saved from the power of this world. But God is good and generous. 
He is bigger than our life and our universe. And he loves and cares for us. Jesus came and became one of us to tell us how important we are to him. He went to death and came back from it to reach us. This makes us enough. This makes us strong enough to weather hard seasons. This makes us enough to have life in all its fullness. So today, let's honestly face the ways in which we're small and defective. Ways in which we're poor, as Sarah put last Sunday. Can you think of any? And let's gaze at them and say, yes, they're true. Then we don't need to stress over this anymore. We don't need to wonder and be afraid if they're true. They are true. And still, we will be okay. Because God is enough. But there's more. Sometimes... We expect that we believe in God and we put faith in him and things will work out on their own. But that's not how it works. We need to put them into action. If we really believe that storing up treasures in heaven is what we need to do, then we need to really store up treasures in heaven. Not just believe that it's important to do so. Right? It's like exercise. You can't just think about how important exercises are. You actually have to do it. But how do we do that? We live today as if God's abundance and goodness are fully true. Even though we're not there yet. You see, we live in in between time spiritually as well. The power of heaven has broken through to this world with Jesus' victory over death on the cross. But the fullness of that reality is not here yet. And that means that we have a choice. A choice to live as if this reality is really true or not. A choice to live in the spirit of abundance or the spirit of scarcity. And I think this is what it means to seek God's kingdom. It is not doing the good deeds or praying more or doing spiritual stuff, but that we live every day and make choices based on the reality of God's kingdom. That is his love, his generosity, and his goodness to us. If we really believed there were enough in God, we would go out and try to live out our dreams. Or to live the life that we have without Worrying, fear of missing out. If we really believe that we're enough in God, 
we would be generous to others. If we really believe that we are enough in God, we would fully love. If we really believed love wins, then we would do something based on that reality, right? To some of us, that might mean protesting or welcoming the refugees or staying in a school district where there are many minorities or to be in therapy or to take time to enjoy our friends or to create or appreciate art. It might mean something different for all different of us, all of us. But doing those things because we believe in God's reality and God's love, not because the world sucks. So my final suggestion today is to live today based on the vision of God's goodness and abundance. This is how we look toward a better future. But with the vision of hope and faith, not the vision of fear. As I mentioned in the beginning of the talk, I've been feeling like I live in an in-between place for the last nine or ten months with Charles' back problem. He's... He's re-injured his back last summer. It's taking a long time to get better. Um, So there's always this hope that it will get better because it is getting better. But then it's taking a long time. So living in this uh, transitional place has taken taken a toll on me. And I realized this um, that this has been more stressful than I uh, realized in the beginning of this year. I got this itch to reorganize the whole apartment. I sometimes get into these places. So the problem it was, <laughs> so Charles has back problem, making it makes it hard for him to bend, which means you will realize <laughs> once that happens that there are how many of your daily activities that we do without thinking about it, require bending. So, for example, he can't reach the bottom drawers of our dresser. So what would normally be in the bottom drawers hang out on top of the dresser, which seems to be fine by him, but not so much by me. So I had this whole thought that maybe I could come up with some different furniture organization solution and we I will fix this problem and everything will look neater and then my life will be better. So I spent hours on internet trying to research what can I do, all this, right? But then I couldn't pull the trigger. I couldn't pull the trigger because you know, the back of my head, like, who knows how long this problem will last. Maybe we will move. Then it will all be, 
you know, all this money that I spend on the furniture will be nothing. We have no plan to move. But who knows? <laughs> I have an 11th grader. In a year and a half, she'll be in college. Maybe we'll downsize. Who knows? You just don't know what will happen in the future. So what ends up happening is I bought this really cheap shelves from Walmart and put it on top of the dresser so that I could, you know, we can put stuff on the, on the shelves. But this episode made me realize I am really reluctant to store up treasures in the present. So I fixed problems with cheap furnitures that will probably, you know, be worthless in a few years. So I was thinking about this tendency that I have. And I think it's not just this problem. I, it would be easy for me to just blame it on Charles' back problem. But I think I have this attitude toward everything in life. I try not to get attached to things because you, who knows what will happen. So I was talking to God. And I felt like God said, look closely. So I was like, what do you mean? And he said, look closely at what you love, the people you love, gaze at their beauty. Hope needs to be based on the goodness of today, not in its disappointment, nor in guilt or shame. And this gave me the peace and the calm that I didn't know I was missing. And in a counterintuitive way, it's the kind of peace and calm that give you more energy to work toward light future because it's a joyful kind of hope. So that's what I have to share with you today. Gaze at the beauty of your life and see how generous and good God is. Believe in yourself because you believe in God's goodness and live every day based on that truth of his abundance, love, and generosity. Make choices as if you truly, deeply believe it. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you're a good God and you're generous and you're powerful and you're loving toward us. That you're only good news, always. I pray that you would um, open our eyes. You would give us healthy vision today to be able to see the beauty that you've already put in, in our lives that we are able to receive from them. And I pray that with that vision, that we would also be able to see your faithfulness and your trustworthiness, that you will always be with us and you will be enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.